0: Um, you learn by doing, basically. I, if you want to be a writer, you got to write. You know, it's no good. Mm. You can read as many books about writing as as you like. And I do have a few of those on my shelf. Because, uh, but uh, ultimately, you've got to sit down and face that horrible blank page and put stuff into it. And it's the same with uh, any other creative. If you're...
1: Is the Living Numbers podcast where everyone is interesting if you ask the right questions. Of course, before we get everything started, share, rate, review. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything else. Share, rate, review. And if you want more behind the scenes stuff, me and Gareth talked about about music. We talked about dogs, how we get our days started. If you want that stuff and the stuff that we do afterwards you can definitely subscribe on Apple or Spotify for the the behind-the-scenes content. Also, of course, you follow me on IG, TikTok, The Living Numbers Podcast, and you can purchase merch, The Living Numbers Podcast, on Etsy. Now, with that being said, bills being paid, it's time to give our wonderful, wonderful guest an introduction. Hailing from Manchester, England, our guest is an eclectic, Creator with a multitude of talents, including writing, acting, and sound production. And none of this stuff is even his day job. (laughs) He's the host of Very British Futures, a website of short stories. He writes movie reviews and is a technical officer at Manchester Metropolitan University. I present the super Black Sabbath fan,
0: Gareth Preston. Say hello to the people, Gareth. Hello, and thank you for that marvelous introduction.
1: I do my best. And so (laughs) I interview people that are not just in America. So tell everybody, what time is it right now where you are?
0: Uh, It is uh, 9 p.m. at the moment over here. Uh, We're just at a... a it's just been new year. Uh, we just had the New Year's bank holiday, and I'm preparing myself to get back to work after a week off.
1: Aren't we all? And Gareth is, I think he's in his, his laundry room, <laughs> which we talked about earlier, because I think it's very important. And I'm just going to throw this nugget in here. I know I usually don't do this, but it's really important wherever you are, as we start this new year, wherever you are, whatever you have, Use that and get started. Whatever it is that you want to do, wherever you feel like, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. Hey, Garrison, in the closet. I was in the closet (laughs) before. Okay. Hey, I've got sheets and stuff up here to try to soundproof. Use what you have and go for it. Now, with that being Mm said, I have to introduce our first number. And that number is 92. So I looked up how many different trades are there because we're going to talk about what what Gareth does. And I looked at a website and it said there are 92 different trades because I feel like Gareth is a jack of all trades. When I looked up this uh, this description Uh of his job. (laughs) So he is a higher education technical officer. And so when I heard that, I'm like, okay. What is that? So please, Gareth, tell us, what what do you do? Because you also talked about how you do have a, a pretty interesting job. So take us into where does it start?
0: Uh, well, in simplest terms, um, the key word is support. Uh, I support uh, both academics and students at Manchester Metropolitan University, specifically in the health and education faculties. Uh, it's a job I've done for quite a long while and it's uh, and it's actually sort of changed underneath me and I I think I've mm. kind of influenced what I do but I'm part of a team and basically we do everything from we lend out quite a lot of equipment to, to people and that's everything from kind of nurse uniforms and uh, anatomical models and the like down to uh, video cameras and recorders and all that sort of AV gear. And we, we provide advice and training on this equipment and we look after specialist spaces. So, as we're health, uh, we have quite a few, we've got some like robot patients that can be used in like simulated wards. Mm, okay. um, My particular bent is towards the AV stuff. That's kind of where I specialised. And so I'm quite often involved in filming students or creating content Mm -hmm. for courses and helping academics to create content, usually videos, sometimes podcasts, and uh, and also computer projects. Uh, um, Mm -hmm. I, I help design little websites, for a specific project, and they they want to do it online, and I help facilitate that. So it's a real you wear lots of different hats. Um, mm. There's also, I mean, there's b- boring parts of it too, like stock. There's the there's the kind of databasey stock taking part of this job, so paperwork of all kinds. But uh, it's it's a it's a quite a varied job. I'm lucky that I'm I'm really doing the same thing day to day. What what's your favorite hat to wear? I know you talked about the audio video part. That's definitely I would say my favorite. I my, is the <laughs> video editing and creating a nice little uh, educational video on the subject, and uh, I, it's something I'll keep pushing and pushing. And we're just going to have our green screen delivered, which I've been, and some much Ooh. better microphones, some nice wireless Thai microphones. Because uh, mm. to get the sound mm. a lot better, and uh, so it's, that's that's easily what I find most satisfying, uh, especially if I get a chance to go a bit beyond just that mm. kind of two heads talking, sort of just recording. It's when you can actually get into something and telling a story, and editing, yeah. and that that is uh, those have been amongst my highlights. I would say.
1: I was talking to, I forget. I forget because you have so many episodes, you talk to so many people. This might've been a conversation (laughs) just with somebody in real life, but I was talking to somebody and we were talking about like, when you love something, most of the time, people don't have to ask you to go the extra mile or do the extra thing. It's like, well, this is what I enjoy doing. So I'm automatically kind of going to have these different ideas to make it better do you have mm. an example where they were like hey you know gareth we just kind of need this this kind of simple thing and you kind of took it ran with it and it came to be much more than you than
0: you thought it would be oh that's you know um well i'm going to think of a better one After this podcast, uh, but certainly a lot of the time, (laughs) um, like people, if they want something filming and they've probably just seen it as just a single camera and, you know, they'll just film it. And I want to make it look a lot more like a TV programme. So I'll bring three cameras Mm. and sync them all together with the soundtrack. So you can have those kind of cuts between people as they're talking and, and just... Make it look as glossy as possible. We're so lucky that we now live in an age where, thanks to prices coming down on PC and stuff, you mm. can get something looking quite glossy for, you know, and you don't need a whole TV studio or a whole right. kind of mixing desk or whatever. They're nice. I wouldn't turn them down, but it's amazing how far <laughs> you can get. It's amazing how far you can get. Uh, with with the humble pc and even just using free software
1: Mm -hmm. the barrier to entry is so much lower
0: in these Mm.
1: these producing kind of roles where i remember like to to record because i've recorded some music you know back in the day and you know you didn't have to go to a whole studio you didn't have to have a whole band with drums and the actual real guitar and stuff you could do everything from your from your laptop or from your from your computer in your closet you know right at home or, or at a friend's <laughs> house uh, where did the I mean, story start right you get to where you are now but was this always the plan to you know work in in education doing what you do you know as a as a technical officer or did you kind of stumble
0: upon this this job this career uh definitely more the latter more stumbling upon i i I'd been to technical college and uh mm. got uh what they call a btech ordinary national diploma in electronic engineering and and then did my and then did the higher national at what was then a polytechnic now it's a university everything's a university uh because mm. for some reason polytechnics Somehow had a reputation that they weren't as good as universities, so they got round that by allowing everybody to call them univers to call themselves a university. Now, mm-hmm. and um, and then I d- I didn't really have a firm. I mean, I at this point I was still thinking, oh, I'm going to write a bestseller or write, um, <laughs> you know, get into t- get into TV writing. But uh, but the dream you know, was still get- alive. The dream was still alive, still going. Uh, but in the meantime, I needed a, uh, you know, a, quote, proper job. And so mm-hmm. just reading through, and I saw a uh, lab technician. I don't think it was called lab technician, though. It was just kind of technician needed uh, at a, a university. And it was a 12-month limited uh, job. And I thought, well, mm-hmm. You know that would be really valuable it's twelve it's a year it's really valuable experience. It was a, a different university that was Salford university and they were having a a course that was basically being run down, but they still had a right. few third year students left who needed to complete and that's my and I was there supporting them and then from there uh, after a, a short period of unemployment i applied for Manchester Metropolitan University. And Mm -hmm. and at that time, it was described as uh, a technician in psychology and speech pathology which are a slightly Ooh. random random pace, uh, pairing but it just so happened there was these two courses and they both needed technical support so they kind of pooled their resources and said oh could we get a guy mm. to cover both of us so right. and back then the job was a lot more setting it was actually it had a lot more sort of woodwork involved in it and metalwork and mm physically setting up equipment and scientific equipment uh, for, for students and then with a little bit of software on the side and then gradually over the years it has become mm-hmm. you know the computers have t- well the internet happened exploded everywhere <laughs> and uh, it became a much more computer-based kind of a job yeah. and, uh, and be- like I said because of my interest in AV and stuff that's what I was really interested in. So I kind of, anything to do with that, I pursued that. And then, um, so 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 that's basically, a, and I basically stayed in the same job for a, a ridiculously long time. I, I might have a word for myself. <laughs> if I could go back in time, I'd probably at the 10 year mark, I sh- probably should have said, you should seriously be applying for other jobs at this point. But the, there you go. There you are, that's... Uh... But the fact is, I've enjoyed the job, and it suits me, it's helping people, it's... Uh... Yeah, because it's it's just supporting people and helping people, and uh... and since we've built this resource team, which is now being... Actually, we've built a model that's now being copied by other universities, where we kind of bring... Ooh, look at you. Yeah, we kind of bring together people with all different skill sets and into one place and we all help each other to some extent we learn from each other and uh the number of hats that can potentially be worn uh grows even even bigger so i'm getting involved <laughs> in all kinds of things on the health side i mean just like yeah. uh we had like this what? new scientific yeah this new scientific treadmill was just installed before christmas so a little bit involved mm-hmm. in that And as well as more conventional AV and lending out and teaching people how to use camcorders and the like. So, I mean, you've mentioned AV, you've mentioned all of the technical
1: stuff. So I think that is only right that we introduce our next number so we could jump full go into that part of your life in the creating and all of the I have so many questions. Okay, here we go. 14th century. Gave birth to pantomime. Mm. So I saw on your website that you have uh, written pantomime. So we're just gonna, I'm gonna let you take this because I wanted to know specifically like what that is and how it worked. Because when I read about it, I was like, this sounds like hilarious. This sounds like an excellent show, something I would 100% go to. So let's start at pantomime, (laughs) please.
0: <laughs> Pantomimes are basically a family show uh usually mm. based on a fairy tale of some kind. Uh the accent is on comedy and music and dance numbers and uh, but it's a very quite a flexible sort of form. And it's a real tradition in Britain, especially at this time of year, around the Christmas period, that uh, mm-hmm. especially if you've got kids, that uh, you go and see a pantomime. And a pantomime, it goes all the way from big professional productions starring uh, you know, well-known actors from TV and film at one level, right down to small communities you know just little community theater or schools putting on their pantomime shows and mm-hmm. uh it's at that lower end is kind of where i've worked as an actor and a writer uh i've mm-hmm. uh, played several roles in i've done most of the kind of there are certain set roles that you always get there's the the the, the dame Who's uh, normally played by a man, but this is kind of mm-hmm. the idea is she's a a big noisy sort of the, the old middle aged to old sort of woman. She's often a matron, a nurse, or uh, a, a shopkeeper, and she's very. She's like a big embarrassing aunt, basically. Usually played as <laughs> I say. By a man, so I've had all the skirts. In, in one, we did uh, Dick Whittington, which is one I wrote. And once we got to the uh, treasure to the island later on in Dick Whittington, uh, I was in a grass skirt and the coconut bra and all that. you know, in all that. So there's another, but there's also several other characters. There's usually kind of a, a comic, a kind of a fool character. Mm. Who's normally called Buttons in Cinderella, or he's called something like Silly Billy. Uh, he's like the court jester <laughs> sort of character. Yeah, yeah. And there'll be a beautiful, yeah, and there will be a beautiful heroine, and there will be what's called a principal boy, and he's kind of the main hero character, usually played by a woman as well, uh, especially a leggy. The traditional is very leggy and sort of like. Sh- a jerking short pants, and she'll normally be playing someone like Robin Hood or mm. Aladdin or that kind of main hero character, and there'll also be a villain to be faced. Uh, and these are of terrific, terrific characters to play. I've played Abenaza from uh, an Aladdin pantomime, and uh, or, or there's uh King Rat in Dick Whittington. And or the sheriff of Nottingham, if it's babes in the wood, and these, and there's a lot of audience participation as well in these shows. Yeah. people, people basically know about because they they grow up with pantomime. So when the villain comes on, everyone hisses, and the villain will shake his. <laughs> Fist. well sorry, oh do apologize. <laughs> and the villain will shake his fist at the audience and say, Shut up, you worms. Or something. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> or and the other strange is at some point somebody, you know, someone will say sort of like, uh, I'm going to cast you throw you down that mountain or something you know, and say oh no you won't oh yes i will and the audience is going oh go. no you won't oh yes i will so and so they're like big noisy fun often have a bit of satire in them as well there's usually kind of jokes either about um you know the next town the neighborhood, neighbouring town or stuff that's happening in the news or celebrities in fact when I write right, pantomimes right. Uh, I started writing pantomimes because like I said I was acting in them and the group that yes. I was most involved with uh, they hit a point where all the, the other people who usually wrote the pantomimes had basically retired or left And uh, so they were a bit stuck this year. And I've been doing other kinds of writing. So Mm -hmm. somebody said, oh, you know, could you write one? So together with another uh, member of the theatre, I I thought, yeah, I can do this. Because there is kind of a formula to it. So as long as you get Mm -hmm. those, you know it's always got to have a big opening number. There's got to be like a messy comedy scene involving custard pies or sloshing wallpaper paste over people. Uh, So there's these elements you always have in a pantomime. And Mm. so we wrote Dick Whittington, which at the time, we chose Dick Whittington, uh, which is a very British kind of folk story. Uh, It's loosely based on a real-life person. Uh, And at that time, it seemed like nobody was doing Dick Whittington. So we wrote that one. Mm. And it was well-received. And we deliberately wrote it so it could be very simply put on. Uh, because at that time we didn't have much in the way of resources. So I deliberately wrote it to be very simple, so that you have basically three sets and what they call the front of curtains. So you could close the curtains and then just pretend these characters are on a street or somewhere, and then you can open the curtains again and they've changed the backdrop and we've moved to another Mm -hmm. main place. So thinking so because i'd had all that experience of being in pantomimes in different roles i I knew the structure and i knew what was needed uh to put on a show like this and it was well received and then um and so that turned into uh, ultimately um four more scripts altogether written Mm -hmm. with uh, different people and i'd and in fact, it was one of the people I was co-writing with, a friend of mine, Adrian, and it was he who suggested, "Let's, you know, we ought to try publishing this, you know." And I'm so glad he did because uh, we yeah. published them with a company called Lazy Bee Scripts, and uh, they've become a nice little um, earner for me. I mean, not not huge amounts of money, but it's nice that kind of every year one or two companies will put on my pantomime and some more, uh, you know, little trickle of royalties come in. And it's just just very flattering if they choose one of my pantomimes out of all the, you know, as you can imagine, there is a quite a big selection to choose from over the Mm. years.
1: Man, that sounds like a real treat where you're in the audience and there's all this participation. There's like this back and forth, kind of reminds me of like like a concert you know mm. so where you can where you can play off of each other a little bit is there ever a point where like you play too much with the audience and you know cuz i i would imagine like you have to get on with the with the show at some point or the yeah. script to get to the next piece but how much uh, leeway is there in between it that's one thing that i was really wondering
0: there is a fair amount of leeway. I can remember. I think mm. in my mind, I'm kind of conscious of it that you can take it so far, but you know you got to think of the rest of the cast and the rest of the crew. Okay. I mean, I remember yes. someone I used to work with. It was Babes in the Wood, and he was playing Friar Tuck, and he had this bit. Friar Tuck had this bit where, and it and it over the week we did it, it got bigger. With every performance, it got longer. he kept putting more and more jokes, and then he put a dance he did like a, he put a comedy dance into this bit as well wow. and it kind of got longer and longer like this, uh but he was so good at it we, can't, we he got away mm. with it because he was so funny and good at doing that um uh, it can get you out of trouble as well um I remember. I was really late. Unfortunately, it was one of those... I don't know if you ever have this this problem. I'd put diesel into my petrol car <laughs> by, accident, by accident. Ruined the car. Had to get the breakdown people out. Um, so I was really late to turn up. And I said, oh, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it. So by the time I got there, they decided... Um, well... We'll have the in they'd sort of had the interval before the show and then he says, Right, we're just gonna do the whole show all the way through without an interval and mm. then we'll be back on time. So but I could build that into the show because you because that's the situation. There's a bit where we were like all the characters are trapped in a prison. We've all been imprisoned by mm. the villain and we're trying to get out and I could I could like say, Oh, a we're stone we're You think you've been here a long time already, but uh, we're gonna get <laughs> And there was another time I was playing the dame and I had this big tall wig, this huge tall wig on me. And we we're pretending to be frightened because we're in this haunted castle. And there's a ghost right. that kind of, you know, somebody in a sheet keeps coming out and we react, ah. And so, and we got so kind of into it and we're like shaking each other. And my wig goes flying off <laughs> across the stage. And the audience just love. I mean, they love those moments when you know when it's out of control. They love that kind of unscripted stuff. So I'm like running around, kind of a still in character, looking and getting this wig back on. And right. So uh, panto is great for these moments when it's sort of really. Uh, takes away. On, on, on another level, uh, there's a, there was one where we were singing a song, and the whole—I I don't know why—but the, the hall was really hot. I can't remember. There were, must have been some, some central heating problem. It was so hot; mm. we, we were all like dripping on stage. And we're, so we're singing this song, and member of the audience just goes. Mm just keel faints away in front of us. And it's like, wow. do we keep do we keep the show going? <laughs> or do yeah. you know do we stop and say, you know, is there a doctor in the house? Sort of thing. Right. And oh. thankfully we could sort of like see you know, out of our peripheral vision people coming forward and helping this person. Mm. So we decided just, you know, in that kind of telepathy, of the moment so that we'd keep going and keep doing these songs. I mean, yeah, at that point, we weren't getting much of a reaction from the audience because this, this is much more interesting what's going on on the front row. Yeah. But uh, but that's, it is quite loose and free form in some ways. That's why it's quite popular with comedians and the like, because they can come in and they can kind of do their shtick within... Mm within the structure of the pantomime the framework yeah it's yeah, nice and, what's uh, it
1: like because there's so much improvisation what's it like when you have a team and everybody's on the same page and y'all just got things clicking like what is that feeling like for people who oh, have never
0: done anything you know in acting or team wise oh it's really good when it's clicking and like you say all on the same page and you're you, you 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 when you both simultaneously oh have the kind of you seize the moment. There's a uh mm. one with, with with this magic love potion that of course inevitably gets drunken by the wrong people. <laughs> and this bit where uh me and the uh it was the guy the evil huntsman in Snow White, who, mm. who's the one who's sent to kill Snow White, and he drinks it, and he's like, "Leer, doing, you know, making eyes at me," and uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, I was playing like court gesture in that one, and mm. that was, and we kind of just could improvise and just go go with it in the moment. Uh, that when it's worked, having you know said that in the opposite, there's. Uh, Mm. this is not so much panto. This is more other kinds of acting. Is that there is Mm -hmm. nothing like when you realise the other person has lost their way and they don't know how to get back to you, and it's hawking if you can't. It's not so bad if you're you're in the dialogue because you can usually steer it and give them the right cue that gets them back on track. But I can remember this murder mystery. Where the person who was delivering the big, you know, the, where the, he calls, I've called you all together to uh, reveal who the murderer right. is. And right. she got completely lost. And we're all kind of, because none of us can know who the murderer is until she tells us. And so, so and I remember, you know, just sitting there, she was, oh, it, that felt a very, it was probably only about a minute. But it felt a lot longer mm. as she kind of groped around, trying to find her Fred again. So that—that's. So what do you do? How'd she get out of it? She did get out of it. Unfortunately, we kind of had to let her find her own way because, like I said, none of us could really tell. You know, none of us could suddenly go, "Oh, you mean it?" it—it it, it wouldn't work. Right, right. It was. It would be. It wouldn't make any sense. Uh, especially because my character was a complete idiot anyway. So, you know, <laughs> he was like the last person who was going to know who the murderer was. He was a real com- complete dunce, which is quite fun to play. Um, so, but I remember, she, you, know, you know, she did kind of, I mean, it was obvious. I think the audience knew what had happened. So mm. she couldn't, but she, yeah, we sort of had to let her find their own way in in, in that time and, and get back to it but it's a horrible thing when you're when you're when your hmm. mind goes blank and uh yep I, uh,
1: I see it often uh with my girls on the basketball court because mm-hmm. you think you think they got it under control and then you're like oh no they're completely lost they don't know what to do right now you only have so many timeouts and so on and so forth uh, but how did you get into get into this um this creating, you know, the acting and the writing? Was there a person that that showed you? Was it a, a show or a movie that made you go, I think, I think I want to try this?
0: Uh, well, in terms of the writing side of it, I'd grown up in a house of books. We were all... Well, mm. Both mum and dad were, were were great readers, and uh, so they passed that on to all their children. So I think when you... I think a lot of people who read quite a bit think, oh, I could do... Or I want to do this. I want to give other people this kind of pleasure in a book. So, uh, and it was something... Uh, you know at school, I found I could do i could make up stories and, mm. uh, and and write and and get nice comments on them from the teacher so that encourages you a lot so that 's kind of where the writing comes from also i 'm a big fan of a series called dr who i don 't know who know of it mm-hmm. and uh and I think this is a lot true for a lot of people who get involved in fandom is that, so you want to read all about this series. So inevitably you read yeah. all, a lot of the behind the scenes and you discover that there are, there are these people called script writers and they write and they're all oh about and they create these stories. And you think, wow, that's a job. You know, how amazing is that to be able to write Yeah, uh, for well, either Doctor Who or any TV series. Uh, thats So that's an inspiration in itself. And on the acting side, I was a bit shy. Of, I kind of felt I could do acting, but I was very shy and didn't really pursue that. Cause, um, but then, fortunately, uh, one of my aunts, who was very into the kind of community theatre world... Mm-hmm. Um, Sort of encouraged me, and so it's it's to uh, my aunt Pam really that um the acting uh, I'd done little bits of acting, just recording myself on tape recorders and that site that mm-hmm. kind of thing, and I think I' played her some of those in the past so so they, they were doing this murder mystery called. Boniface, if I remember right, that was what it was called. Or Bonaventure. That's it, Bonaventure. It was a murder mystery. And they had this small part of this uh, prison warden who's kind of this who's uh, transporting this prisoner and they get stuck at this um convent where where the story mm-hmm. takes place. So it was a nice little part, but it had a few good lines in it and so that was kind of my first real acting in front of an audience. Uh, I mean, I'd done yeah. school, not really school plays, you'd done school concerts, but I was always just a face in the crowd at those. I was always, right, you, know, right. you know, third shepherd on on, on, on the left type <laughs> of parts. So that was my first kind of, and it went down well, and I stayed with that group and gradually took on bigger and bigger parts. And uh, so that's where the the acting came from. And at the same time, I was also inspired by radio plays and stuff. I was trying to write my own radio plays and act in them Uh, because I tried a little bit of just filming on video. This is in the VHS days when you had to have the camera. Cameras were big things that sat on your shoulder and you could only edit. (laughs) And, well for people like us, you know, you had to edit it by sticking two VHS recorders together and just being there on yep. the record pause to kind of make, do your cut on them. But I haven't been very happy with the results because you picture something in your in my head mm. that looks amazing and then you look at it and it's just like you and your mates this running around in the country. and <laughs> <in the countryside>. Yeah. <laughs> And it's and it's oh no, this is, but with radio, uh oh, oh this is something great because you can get you can actually do something that sounds quite slick um with a relatively small outlay, but you have all that kind of discipline of writing a script and getting a cast together and making it mm. as good as possible. And again, Doctor Who becomes part of the Fred here because there was quite a in the 80s there was quite a a fanzine culture and uh a5 especially once desktop publishing came along and it seemed like everyone mm. and their dog was producing a fanzine around then it was and so yeah, and yeah. tape and tape scenes were a uh, a part of that so uh so we were kind of actually advertising them in fanzines and you know, sending them through the post, these little stories. And, you know, you got any feedback. That was absolutely amazing. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And and it was such good fun to do. And, yeah, and the way, I love the way that you could, from just a group of us kind of sitting around the dining room table uh, recording these lines, and then you just add a bit of reverb and a bit of weird, widdly. Uh, 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 sort of electronic effects, yeah, 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 off off your sister's keyboard, and uh, and suddenly, oh, we are transported to an alien planet and uh, creating this universe full of squeaky sounding 20 somethings, and uh, so yeah, that so that I've I enjoy radio's uh, ability to tell big stories for relatively Mm. small resources. There you go. So speaking of like creating,
1: what is, take us through your creative process. Uh, So another thing I always think of is like, what is the best like time of day that you're creative? Some people are like, if I get up really early and I start my process then. You know, that's my most productive time. Some people are night owls. Like they can't do any work until the sun goes down. So <laughs> kind of how do those two things work for you? Your creative process? And then what's your most productive time of day?
0: I'd say, well, generally it's the evening. I was much more of a night owl, definitely. Uh evenings to uh sometimes, yeah, well into the night when it was going well. And yep. um so I think that was kind of my main time. I've, I think I've slightly adjusted now because there's so much just going on in life in general. I, yeah. I used to think, "Oh no, I I can't find those big chunks of time where I." And then you realise it's it's different now. You know, if you if I've only got an hour to work in, use that hour, and then you know, even if I've only written a page, uh, or I've edited you know 10 minutes of the next podcast you know that's 10 Mm -hmm. minutes more than if i'd not done it so now my work process is a lot more just kind of a bit more seizing the moment and yeah fitting in time and uh the in in amongst the the, uh, all the other stuff you got to get through in the day
1: Uh Absolutely. So tell us about uh, your short stories, right? You have uh, a website, The Very British Futures, where you have all these short stories. So where did the inspiration for
0: that come from? Very British Futures is a podcast mm. about television science fiction rather than a, a fiction sort of podcast. So it's more looking at television programs and discussing them. So it's more of a review podcast oh Uh, okay yes you see so i was going to mention that at the end because i didn't want to break your flow sort of thing in the middle but um (laughs) you know part of it is sometimes
1: you get stuff wrong and that's the funny part uh how did that come (laughs) about with the reviews and go for it uh
0: well what happened with that and i'll get around to short stories after afterwards um what I'm, Basically, science? my head is filled with a lot of, as I often say to people, I wish I knew as much about, you know, how money worked as I do about, mm. uh, you know, old science fiction programs from the 70s and 80s. But uh, there you go. The brain retains what it retains. So I had all this in my head, and I'd heard podcasts I think I was influenced by two kinds of podcasts. One was a very good podcast called Backlisted, which is all about books and people discussing a book every week. Uh, well, mm-hmm. you know, book club type of thing. And right. uh, it, it seemed at this time there were also a lot of podcasts that were taking a very irreverent look at science fiction, which I can understand. You know, that is a style that where you, it's like you're going for the laughs. Everyone's competing to get in the best, you know, joke about terrible acting or wobbly spaceships mm. or whatever. Mm. Uh, and I felt there was a space for discussing, for not, yeah, to basically discussing things a bit more seriously and uh, and appreciating what was good about them rather than sort mm. of like competing on the snarky side of it. And um I also wanted it to be. Uh, there are certain science fiction programs that get load of podcasts. You know, you type Star Trek or Doctor Who. Into, oh yeah, you know, there's a hundred podcasts there or, already. So I wanted a podcast that was to be about all the things that people weren't talking about generally. So that's where very British Futures came from, where we look at the sometimes fairly well known ones, but also. Um, series that have been kind of like forgotten by most people because it's getting the balance right between those two. I think if we did too much rare stuff then people wouldn't or tune in because they'd like what's what's that show? I don't recognise that. But um, right. yeah, but uh, at the same time, you don't want to just be kind of repeating the same shows everybody else is talking about. And it's been good fun. And from going from producing radio drama, I love the straightforwardness of a, of a most podcasts. It's a lot more relaxing. Because whereas a radio drama, you've got lots of layers of sound effects and music mm. and usually putting effects on the voices as well, uh, even just to make people sound like they're outside or something like that. Right, so it's a right. big, quite a big undertaking, whereas uh, generally with a, a straightforward discussion podcast, you're just trying to make it sound as nice and clear and slick as, as, as your own, as your own work. Um, <laughs> So uh and it's Thank been you. good fun. It's been good fun um to do and we've got uh, plenty more lined up on that and uh, the website is just kind of gives you a bit more further reading basically as well mm. as a, a nice permanent home for where these podcasts can live and uh it's just just got a nice uh yeah further reading and links yeah. and things yeah. that i've discovered in the course of my research. Yeah, with short stories, I one of my resolutions is to write more short stories. Uh, because they are a good trading ground, and it's a it's a great mm. skill. A short, a good short story is very satisfying, um, because you you know to to get in and set a mood, and create some characters and get uh, a point across within mm. you know however long it, is. it can is, four pages, twenty pages. Uh, and you can get that right. That is very satisfying. Yeah, uh, Don't to talk tell me my what... next question. Oh. What's your mm-hmm. favorite thing to write? Oh, it's very hard. I'm going to give. I'm going to give one of those boring, equivocal sort of answers. And oh, say no depends. boring answers. Oh no, yeah, Take yeah. Break boring. it down. Pull it apart for me yeah. uh, Equivocal. It depends. I suppose scripts are my favorite thing to write because they move quite mm-hmm. fast when you're writing prose, or at least the way I write prose, you've got to be describing a lot, what's going on around you. And thinking about how it moves uh, from place to place. Mm. Whereas with a script, especially a radio script, where you're thinking, it's very dialogue-based for a start, and it's fitting, and uh, there's something very satisfying about trying to set a scene and um usually i'm telling fairly action packed kind of stories is getting that action over without having people saying oh the, the classic line that people use is i should warn you the gun in my left hand is loaded which is that sort of <laughs> you don't want that sort of line in it you don't want those terrible expository sort of lines in right um so, I love you want people challenge. to know
1: without you having to tell them,
0: yeah, exactly. So, like, which involves sound effects. And so, I mean, a simple thing is, um, something like, uh, you know, something. Like, and they, well, apparently, they've uncovered something int- they've uncovered something interesting in Peru, and then you have a sound mm. effect of an airplane landing. And then you go to the jungle. You don't need to explain that they booked tickets, you know, for an aircraft <laughs> and they've flown there in an aircraft. Because people know that. They know that's what you've done. And that you've had to drive from the airport to the uh the, the old the archaeological site. So <laughs> you can get you, you can get over all that and you can just oh no, there's a yeah. the jungle and uh and we're talking Here we are. talking now. Yeah. There we are. And you realize you can trust it's in some ways it's giving the listener permission to make their own pictures. I remember an early Doctor Mm. Who audio and I sort of had this line, it was involved a monster attacking people on this planet. And I put in this line of, Oh, it looks like a small Tyrannosaurus Rex. And then you it's not important that they know though, as long as they establish that it's a it's carnivorous and it's got big teeth, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't matter. You can leave it up to the listener to decide on what what it actually looks like. So mm. that's a, a part of uh, radio writing that I find quite interesting. And uh, I'm very influenced by, uh, there's a, a guy called Dirt Mags, who, uh, a British Producer, drama producer, who does these brilliant cinematic style audio s- stories. He's uh, done quite mm. a few comic strip adaptations. Like he uh, uh, did an excellent Batman. He adapted the um, the whole. I don't know how much you know about comics or whatever, but there was a a saga in Batman called Nightfall, or all around, and he mm. adapted all that into a radio series. And that's been one of my go to models for that's how you do it. That's how you. Do an action-packed um, story, and I was just listening to Lord of the Rings, the BBC radio version of Lord of the Rings, and mm-hmm. what strikes how sparse it is. Listening, it was done in the early '80s, and you think now it it would be easy, to, um, because of the software we have and the technology, to have loads of layers. And all kinds of environmental sounds going on in that so mm-hmm. the music, whereas it actually sounds really sparse it's just the odd sound effect, but it works my right. oh, word it, it because of well-chosen music and lots of Shakespearean actors giving it giving it all all their best uh it, it sounds properly epic and large that's one of my unfulfilled ambitions to do a good. Big Mm. fantasy epic at some point.
1: Okay. That That takes us actually into our last part. Our three what's. Mm -hmm. There we go. Okay, so we're gonna start with um we're gonna start with the first one. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Because you talked about a a ton of different things and kind of maybe some things that may be better if they were done now, which a lot of people they're like nostalgic, they're like, No, don't touch anything. Leave it the way we remember it. And there's a lot of money in nostalgia. So, <laughs> first what? What's an opinion that you have that will be considered unpopular?
0: Oh, an artistic um, opinion. I don't know how niche. This might be too niche. But um, I'm a big fan of, of um, Quatermass, which was uh, a, both a TV series and a series of films from Hammer. Uh, studios and generally everyone lays and the first two Quitimas films have an actor called Brian Don Levy. And usually mm-hmm. everyone hates Brian Don Levy and says he's a terrible mm-hmm. choice. You know, this he was well known for playing kind of gangsters and heavies in American <sighs> films. So he was in some ways an odd choice to play this British scientist. Uh, But I actually love that he comes in and plays it like a gangster, this scientist as a gangster, Mm. and that in a way he's he's kind of the biggest monster in his own film, even though he's fighting aliens. Mm. His utter obsession with uh, sending rockets into space, regardless of the terrible human costs all around him, which he never seems to notice hardly that's going on. I I find that a really interesting take rather than other Quater masses who are good, but they're the more sort of traditional very liberal kind of very empathic, concerned guilt-ridden character uh, for, for for, you know, they feel really bad for all the terrible things that have happened as a result of their but I quite like the way Brian Dunleavy just kind of Brussels his way through through it all and at all costs uh, at all costs. Uh, so that's um, that's. Uh, I mean, there are films I I I love that generally uh, other other people aren't very keen on. Uh, I think another one. Um, I mean, the original the well, this one has become seems to become more popular. There was a time the original eighties Dune movie. I absolutely loved and I watched it again and again. I thought it was mm. brilliant. It was a surprise when I later in fandom discovered how much it's not liked by a mm. lot of people who think it's a terrible adaptation of the book. Um, but I, I think it's it's bursting with with great images and, uh, and, and fun performances and uh, in fact weirdly I quote whilst we've been having having this uh, interview a quote from Dune popped into my mind with um, mm. where there's a line where one of the soldiers said mood is for cattle and love play and which is all that thing about um, you, you can't wait for the muse I think if you're writing or creating you can't wait for the muse to land I think you you have mm. got to just go, just do it, basically, rather than wait around for it. You kind of sometimes got to make it happen a bit, it, even if even if you're not quite feeling feeling it sometimes. Because, um, as I said to you a little earlier on, before the official um, interview started, friends of mine who are yeah, full time yeah. writers, you know, they treat it like a job. You know, they don't wake up and say, "Oh, I'm not feeling very inspired today." You know like they know right they you know they you know they know they got to be in there you know writing and and, and creating and uh, and generally doing a fine job of it. There we go. That brings us to
1: our second. What? Look at you, G. Mm-hmm. If you weren't
0: <laughs> a writer, what would you be pursuing? Ooh, that's a hard. I think if I wasn't. Being creative, because uh, I'm going to include it. You said writing, but I'm going to kind of include sound producing and uh, mm. the acting. Kind of, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would I it wasn't be? Being creative <laughs> like that. Um, mm. It's two ways. I think I think I'd still be teaching. I think I'm, I'm mm. discovering. I quite enjoy that. I quite enjoy training people and teaching people uh, things, and and people. And I've had some nice feedback from people who say I'm I'm very patient with 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 people, mm. and uh, so I can see myself doing that. And I think if it wasn't that in a slightly more negative way, I think I could. There's an obsessive side in me, and I think I could have become a very obsessive collector of things. Which I kind of was when I was young, when I was young uh i had that thing about well, in my case, it was kind of Doctor Who and anything that had Doctor Who on it, I was interested in buying it and you know having it in my room, whereas now I'm a lot more yeah you know, uh i'm I'm not as bothered about things i know i I like a nice box set and uh you know a bookshelf uh but uh, I don't have that kind of uh, oh, I need to get everything in the in the series right so, right so' sort so of uh, feeling mm-hmm. in me but uh, but I think if I didn't but I might have gone that way more if I couldn't be creative I, I could see my okay
1: okay last what mm-hmm. if. You were given advice to someone in high school. So a primary school, right before a university, you're getting ready to graduate. What advice would you give
0: to that person? I think my main thing is um, you learn by doing, basically. And if you want to be a writer, you got to write. You know, it's no good. Mm. You can Read as many books about writing As as you like And I do have a few of those on my shelf because, uh, But uh, ultimately You've got to sit down and face that horrible Blank page And put stuff into it And it's the same with uh, any other creative If you're painting Or I think any creative endeavour You learn by doing And mm. uh, That's how And also you look Other people's. It's easy to be intimidated by other people. I feel intimidated. There are some authors I read and I think, well, why do we, you know, and you can feel, well, why do we even try? Because they're just so good. (laughs) What they've done there, that's like magic sleight of hand, what they did with that story. Robert Shearman, thinking about you. Uh, You've got to believe, no, you do have something to add. There's a very good cartoon mm. I think illustrates this. There's someone's brought a cake. It's a country fair or something, and they're having the bake cake competition. And this guy, bring, uh, this person, brings a cake to the table, and they say, "Oh, this is terrible. This look at that cake over there. That's absolutely amazing. My cake looks absolutely mm. rubbish." And uh, and then somebody else comes along and says, "Hey, two cakes." So there we I, go. I, we can be our own worst enemies sometimes. Don't don't learn to ignore that little voice in you. But of course, you can take it the other way. Don't um, don't become like Donald Trump <laughs> and think, <laughs> think that everything you do is absolutely amazing and get very angry with people who point out that it's not. But uh, yeah, but generally, <clears throat> yeah, ignore the little voice.
1: Well, that's a great place to leave it. But before we go, please, Mr. Preston, tell people where they can find your work, where they can find you, and uh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, if you're interested in Very British uh, Futures, uh, we're available on Just Search for That. on all, We're on all the major podcast stations uh, or platforms, I should say. Uh, you can also probably the easiest place to find all the stuff I'm doing is go to garethpreston.blog. So, and that's where I cover, you'll find short stories I've written in the past, you'll find stuff about the podcast, and stuff about friends of mine, who I, I, I'm i more than happy to plug on on there, and things like the Talking Pictures podcast I regularly appear on. So that I would say that's your first port of call, garethpreston.blog or you can follow me on Twitter at GazHack one word
1: there we go, there we go, thank you all for listening, I want to thank my wonderful guest Gareth Preston for coming on even at this hour because <laughs> at, at this point it's probably 10 almost 2:30 there thank you for coming on, spending some time with me and uh, make sure you all like, subscribe, share—all of that great stuff. You can follow me on TikTok and Instagram, The Living Numbers Podcast, and I will see you all in the next ramble.
0: Boom.